podcast listener Amber in Doylen, I think it Doylen, Doline, Louisiana, writes to Pastor John Piper, and she writes this. Pastor John, the Oregon shooting, and I think she was most likely referring to the Umpqua Community College shooting in 2015, where the gunman had people stand up, and he asked them if they were a Christian, and then proceeded to shoot them afterwards. She said, the, the Oregon shooting really shook me up. I turned my life over to Christ a little over two years ago, and I've learned a lot, but I know that I have a lot left to learn. She said, I am trying to strengthen my faith, but in the meantime, I asked myself this question. What would I do? She said, my response was scary. I'm not sure I could say that I'm a Christian if a gun were pointed in my face. Especially if my children are with me. She said, I know that Jesus warns us about not denying him here on earth, but I can't help but wonder if I was doing so to save our life. And even though I didn't mean it, is that bad? Is that punishable? I appreciate her honesty. What would you do? What would you do if you were placed in that same situation that those individuals were placed in? Maybe that situation would not be as dramatic. What would you do if you're surrounded by a bunch of activists and they're calling upon you to denounce your faith, to denounce the name of Jesus Christ? What, what are you going to do, young adults and kids, in your classroom, if the kids ask if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in the Bible? What are you going to do at work when they hand you a pin or a t-shirt and they want you to wear that that represents their ideology and belief system? What are we going to do if the government asks Galilee Church to stop preaching such hateful messages, what are we going to do? I'm not sure what we will do. I'm not sure what I would do. But I know what we should and shouldn't do. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at three faith facts as we look at, I, I think, just a absolutely crucial passage for the life of a believer and how we live out our witness in this world. So three faith facts. The first one, forgiveness is available if our faith fails the trial. Forgiveness is available if our faith fails the trial, verses 12 through 14. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. 
Now, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. So, to set the scene here, John is is giving us some important truths, a, a context of what is happening to Jesus. And one of the real important things that we need to see here is that this whole trial that is about to take place is illegal. This trial is illegal according to Jewish law. Jesus, number one, was arrested through an informant, Judas, who was actually paid or bribed for that matter. There were no official charges that were presented to Jesus. The trial, and John does the fire in this for a very important reason, the trial takes place at night, which was very illegal, and Jesus had absolutely no defenders whatsoever, no witnesses on his behalf. So John is setting all of this up, and he wants us to see something else and something that I think we absolutely need to take with us as we go through this text. One of the first things that John wants us to see, and we talked about it last week, no matter what is happening in our lives, who's in control? God's in control. People may trump up a bunch of charges against us. People may lie about us. People may come to our houses at night if it got that bad, take us away, hide us, whatever it may be. Who's in charge? God is in charge. And John mentions what Caiaphas says here for a very important reason. He prophesied, didn't he? He prophesied that what is happening to Jesus right now is all according to God's plan. And you can be, the sa- you can be sure the same goes for you and I. People might lie. The government might, might lie. People may make up stuff. People might attribute certain aspects to Christianity that are just not true. And we're going to be brought before, as a matter of fact, we constantly are, we're we're taken into where? The court of public opinion. With all of these lies, all these trumped up charges, and we're going to have to respond. But I also think that John, especially in the position that he places this, that statement, one man to die on behalf of the people does so for another reason as well. Guy was at a post office in the last days before Christmas. After helping me conduct the lengthy business, the pleasant, helpful postal clerk He says, uttered surely what was her standard line. Is there anything else I can do for you? He quipped, can you help me pay for Christmas? Without missing a beat, she replied, he already paid for it. He said, I was stunned, pleased, surprised, and a tad embarrassed. That simple phrase had put everything into perspective. There's a phrase in here. 
As we see one of the, the greatest falls of a disciple of Christ of all, almost all time, the denial, John wants us to remember something. He already paid for it. What Jesus is about to do is on our behalf. And that sacrifice, this is his substitutionary atonement. It is one of the greatest truths of Christianity of all time that Jesus Christ, innocent, stood in the place of you and me, guilty. And that sacrifice covers all our sins, past, present, and future, even our failures of faith. Do you believe that? you believe that forgiveness is available for our heinous sins? Because it's true. That's what he's saying here. Peter needed Jesus to die for him. Peter, though faithless, needed Christ who will be faithful. He already paid for it. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you're going to do in life. But there is no sin that is beyond his forgiveness because his sacrifice covers every last bit of it. That is the truth of the gospel. That's why we're all sitting and standing here today. None of us were innocent. He was. And he stood in our place and stood the trial and the suffering and death for you and me. The second faith fact that we see here is trials reveal the strength of our faith, verses 15 through 18. I'm kind of glad we covered that point because it's about to get a little difficult and hard. So you think it's hot right now? For all of us, don't worry, myself included. But verses 15 through 18 and 25 through 27, and I'll explain why I combined all of these together. So Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now, that disciple, we believe it was John, the one writing this, was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire. If it was cold, they were warming themselves and Peter was also with him standing warming himself. Down to 25. Now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again. And immediately, immediately, a rooster Crowed. 
I had a map of the place. <laughs> I wish you could see it. So this is most likely the house of Annas, the high priest. Um, so this would be what we call a palatial mansion. And if you look it up, if you look up Annas, the high priest, palatial mansion, it'll show you where the location of Peter would, would have been and where Jesus would have been. So there was, a, there was an entry room. They would have walked him into this entry room or the receiving room. And then off to the right of the receiving room would have been a courtroom, which is where, I mean, I mean, a courtyard where Peter would have been standing. Some people here have actually got to go to Jerusalem, and I think they visited Caiaphas's house, um, which might have been similar. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but that's where Jesus is taken after this. So he's standing now before Annas, and Peter goes out into this courtyard. I think John actually goes in with Jesus. And if we're wondering how Jesus could have seen Peter, because it says in the other Gospels, when he denied him the third time, he glances at Peter. Most likely that was when Peter was making his exit and Jesus would glance at him. He would be able to see him from one of two places. So the reason for me combining these two accounts is John is doing something very, very important. Important. Actually, the structure of the text is pointing to the main idea of the text. So if you look at the text, he separates Peter's denials. And in the center, what does he put? Jesus' faithful confession. He, he is highlighting, not just by the words and not just by the characters that are, are being contrasted in the two accounts, he's highlighting the people. And Jesus is standing there in the center in the middle of Peter's denials to show us this contrast. It is extremely important that we see that and what we learn from that. I love how this, I love how this starts out. Peter is following Jesus, is he? How close? We're about to find out, aren't we? I was scrolling through Facebook, I know, probably a bad idea, and sometimes those reels catch my attention. Do they ever do that with anyone else? No one's going to admit it. Just admit it. There's no way it doesn't happen. I mean, the cat ones, whatever it might be. So one caught my attention. It was titled, Even the Robber Felt Bad, and I, I have images up here, and I wish you could see it, but it said, Even the Robber Felt Bad. So I, I'm like, oh, that's... I'm wondering, when does a robber feel bad? So I, I start watching the video, and it's, it shows a guy and, and his girl, I think they were in the, the south somewhere, or I don't know, but they're walking down the street. The guy's, you know, medium build, the girl's a little thinner, and they're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, they're approached uh, by a motorcycle with two robbers on it. So the robbers then proceed, one of them proceeds to get off the bike, and all of a sudden we see the guy get in front of his girlfriend like that. And you're like, oh, this dude means business. There is no way these robbers, or this one robber, is going to get through this guy. He was a little bit bigger than him, too. He looked a little bit bigger, looked like he could handle himself. So we're like, there's a confrontation about to happen. Well, I'll tell you what, the only confrontation that happened was that man's feet with the pavement because he proceeded, maybe it's going to come up right now. Oh, Lord, please, here we go. No, 
God's like, you got to see this, really. <laughs> and it shows him, he's, he runs away from the robbers, leaving his poor girlfriend all alone holding this purse. So then the robber goes up and then takes the purse and he's, he stops for a second. He can't believe his eyes. He's watching this man run away, and then he goes back to the girl. <laughs> and then you see him having a conversation, which was reported. He said, you need to leave that deadbeat man. <laughs> he then feels, feels bad, gives her her purse back. That, I mean, he already left her. Might as well, you know, just complete the process. It's, it's funny, but what does it show? What does it show? You and I never know what we're going to do until we're placed in that situation, do we? Peter does a similar thing. Leaves Jesus fend for himself. Peter needed to see this. Sorry for the folks at home, I didn't go through all my slides. Peter needed to see this. Peter's fall didn't happen here. It, it, it happened here. It didn't start here. Peter's fall started a long time ago. Jesus actually says to Peter, Satan has asked permission to what? Test you, to sift you. He wants you to see, Jesus wants Peter to see what's really, really in his heart. And the only way you and I are going to see that is through trials. We do not know how we are going to respond until we are tested. And Peter's tested, he fails the test, but it's for a purpose so that later on, Jesus says, your faith will not fail. Ultimately, you will be strengthened and you can strengthen your brothers. Why? Because Peter knows what his problem is. It's Peter. I remember working in Long Creek. I would come home all the time to Sarah and I would say to her, I'm a, I'm a poor Christian. I'm not a good Christian. Why? Because I was put in situations that I was never put in before, and what was inside would constantly come out, and I hated it. And what was God showing me? I think, Mark, you're not as strong as you think. You're not as godly as you think. You're not as faithful as you think. Peter's fall started a long time ago. And I think about, go back to the opening illustration and go back to that girl. She, she already has a leg up on Peter. Do you know why? She doesn't trust herself, does she? What does she say? I don't know what I would do. Uh, do you think she wants to deny Jesus? No. Do you think she loves Jesus? Absolutely. Does she trust her flesh? No. Good. We shouldn't. Because that's exactly what Peter does. Four things that Peter did, four things that set Peter up for this. Number one, Peter was absolutely overconfident. 
No, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. Really? What happened to Peter? It's funny because when Peter should have stood down and didn't fight the guy in the garden and chop off his ear, that's when he should have stood down. He didn't stand down. And when he should have stood up, he now is denying Jesus Christ, this, this burly, strong Galilean fisherman who vowed never to deny Jesus Christ is now denying him to who? A servant girl. A slave. And a group of individuals who have no power or bearing over his life whatsoever. That's crazy. The, to, be, to be a servant girl it was, was one of the lowliest position. She was a doorkeeper. And Peter is afraid of a doorkeeper. What happened to him? He's overconfident. He was trusting in his flesh, not in Jesus Christ. Jesus needed to die for Peter. He needs to die for all of us to let us know we're not capable. We don't have it in us. He does. Overconfidence. And I'm sure we can all get like that. I'd never deny Jesus. I'd never do this, Jesus. Jesus, I'm all sold out for you, Jesus. And then the time comes and what? We fold like a pancake. The other, another thing, so he, he was overconfident He's trusting in the flesh. He misunderstood the mission of Jesus Christ. Folks, let me tell you something. If we're expecting Jesus to meet all of our earthly comforts or to fulfill our goals and our plans in life, and if he fails us in that, you and I are ripe for denial. I've seen it happen. Yeah, I've trusted in Jesus. I tried that. I, you, know, I, you know, this and that, but he didn't, he didn't deliver for me. And if you and I are seeking glory, honor, power, and fame here on earth, you're in for a rude awakening. Jesus isn't delivering that. Jesus' way to glory and honor is through the cross. It's through a sacrifice yeah, Christianity's great. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to church. I got lots of friends. People are like feeding my ego. I'm doing all these wonderful things. Everything's so comfortable. But if it comes down to it, am I going to deny him when I'm facing a situation like this? If those things are taken away from me, if all of my comforts, and I'm preaching to myself, if all of those things are taken, if he doesn't fulfill my goals or my agenda in my life, Am I going to deny him when it comes down to it? Because maybe I feel like I don't know him at that time. Not, you're not the Jesus who I thought you were. And I tell you what, Chris, the church in America is in for a rude awakening. If we think Jesus is all about our comforts, all about making us feel good, I tell you what, when that persecution comes, that people are going to be falling like, like, like lemmings one after another. Jumping off the cliff. Why? Because we're used to this, this, this sanitized, comfortable, comfortable entertainment-based Christianity. 
What's going to happen when the rubber meets the road? I hope our feet don't meet it too. He misunderstood the mission of Christ. Christ is, and he's, we're going to get into it next week. His kingdom is not of this world. We don't fight like this world. We're not in it for this world. We're in it for his. We deny this world because of that world. We deny ourselves because of him. Peter didn't pray. You may think, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> a lot, I think. What, what does Jesus say in, in the garden? Pray that you may not, what? Fall into temptation. Peter wasn't following closely. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. Wow. Does that apply to the church today? Are we sleeping when we should be praying? Because if we are, when this happens, maybe the same thing that happened to Peter is going to happen to us. He says the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. Peter was trusting in the flesh, not trusting in Christ. We should be on our hands and knees every day. Lord, help me not deny you. Help me not deny you with my lips. Help me not deny you with my life, because that's another way that we can deny him. Folks, if we can't confess Christ before servant girls, what makes us think we're going to confess him before kings and queens? So it reminds me of a, of a verse. It's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to back up here for a second. <laughs> we go back to Peter. Peter cared more about his comfort and the consequences than for, for Jesus Christ, didn't he? Where, what circle did Peter want to be in? The world. He's warming himself by the fire. What, what a contrast. Instead of walking through the fire... Peter's using the fire to warm himself with it. Why? Because he doesn't want to be cast out by the way. He doesn't want the world to know that he is a follower of Jesus Christ because he doesn't want to go through the same thing that Jesus Christ is going through. We deny him like that very frequently. Whatever circle that we find ourselves in, are we ashamed to confess Christ? Are we ashamed to talk to our circle of friends? What about our coworkers? What about our fellow students at, at, at school? What about our family members? Are we that ashamed of Jesus Christ that if we feel we're going to offend people and they're going to cast us out of that group, then we're denying him in a different sense? Peter cared more about his comfort. Peter cared more about Peter. And he denies Christ three times. He has a chance 
each time to redeem himself, to, 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 to repent of that, to turn away, but he doesn't. And the third time, he denies him so emphatically, he calls down curses upon himself. What a difference. This is the guy who swore or vowed to die for Jesus. Now he swears and vows he doesn't even know him. Do we praise him with our lips in here, but are we denying him with our mouth and our lives out there? It's the same thing. And if we can't witness to people that have no power over us because we're afraid of losing those relationships, what makes us think that we're going to witness to people who can take our lives like they can Jesus's? This is the verse, Jeremiah. He says, if you, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with the horses? If you stumble in a safe country, how will you manage by the thickets of Jordan? If I'm ashamed to preach the truth of Jesus Christ and want my Christianity to be a secret with people at work, people in my family, people at school, what makes me think when I am faced with a greater threat that I am going to stand up for him? We're, it's peaceful right now. We're free to go out and hand out flyers. We're free to preach on the streets. What's going to happen when the persecution comes? If we're not preaching Christ now, what makes us think we're going to do it then? And it doesn't mean we go door to door. It doesn't mean we have to you know, have a megaphone in the streets. Matter of fact, I don't know if that's that effective. But do we have the courage to do it now in a land of peace? Do we have that courage? We're, we're free to do it. There are Christians in other countries that if they say the name of Jesus, if they preach Jesus Christ, they're killed. They're killed for it. And like I said, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. We would all love to have Peter in our church, wouldn't we? Oh, this guy's great. Let's put him in a ministry. We would have thought he was everything. Oh, look at this guy. He's all, he's gung-ho. He's so awesome. Man, he's got so much courage. He's got so much faith. Don't be fooled. All that outward bravado meant absolutely nothing when it came down to it. The thing about all this is Jesus knew, didn't he? The rooster. He said it. I can imagine being Peter. And until he's restored... Peter was reminded every morning what he did. We don't want that regret. We don't want that. I don't know what we would do. I hope it's not this. Third and final, Jesus is our example of faithfulness when tried. Verses 19 through 24. I'll lose my voice. 
The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, and be thinking of Peter's answer and Jesus' answers. I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple. Where all the Jews come together, I spoke nothing in secret. When he had said this, uh, why do you question me? Question those who have heard me, what I spoke to them, who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. I might have mentioned this before. I think it fits for where we're going with this. But there's a, a very popular Christian artist who was interviewed on, on the radio or a podcast. And the interview went viral after they were asked this question. Is homosexuality a sin? Here's the answer. I can't honestly answer on that, said the artist. In a sense, I have too many people that I love that are homosexual. I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it. I can't say one way or another. I'm not God. She, they, they went on to suggest that people should read their Bible and quote, Find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know, because I'm learning too. The response from the host was very telling. You're a pro. You're a pro. Hey, good job. Way to give a non-answer answer, because you really didn't answer the question. Did you? Hey, way to keep both bases happy. Way to not lose your fame. Way to not cause controversy. Way to deny the teachings of the Bible. Good job. Good job. You're a pro. You know what they were a pro at? Punting. Because that's exactly what they did. They punted the ball. They first punted the ball to who? God. Well, Jesus tells you, you, you say it. You heard what I said. You know what I'm saying. They go, I'm not God. No, you're not. But you're not afraid of him either. Because if you were afraid of him, you would have answered honestly, because I'm pretty sure you know the answer. You just don't want to say it. And then she punted it to you and me. Read the Bible, find out for yourself. And then when you find out, come and tell me, because I'm learning too. We're all in this together. Stop answering like that. That's not what this world needs to hear. That is a spineless, God-dishonoring answer. We know what the Bible says. We're ashamed of it. And if we're ashamed of the teachings of Jesus Christ, and if we're ashamed of the teachings of Scripture, we're ashamed of Him. We need courage right now, folks. Lots of it. And we can answer in a way we sometimes think, I'm sorry, I'm getting all worked up. <laughs> we can answer in a way, we think these things are mutually exclusive, that we can't answer lovingly and graciously 
and truthfully at the same time. No, that's how we need to answer. They're not mutually exclusive. You, you, can, you can defend the faith, you can defend the Scriptures, you can unapologetically answer in a way that is gracious. Jesus does it constantly. What are we afraid of? Compare that and compare what Peter is doing to what Jesus is doing. Is he carefully choosing his words not to offend people? No. He gets struck in the face. What a difference. Charles Spurgeon said, it's a, it is a very bad sign to hear a wicked world clap its hands and shout, well done to the Christian. Far be it from us to seek a crown of honor where our Lord found the crown of thorns. We want to keep our comforts. We want to keep our fame. We want to keep our people happy. We cannot do that and continue to follow Jesus Christ. The world and Christ are in an antithesis. They are antithetical to one another. Notice how Jesus answers. Number one, few things we could take from his example. First word, openly. I absolutely love this word. And, and we have to be mindful, who is Jesus talking to? Not a servant girl, is he? He's talking to the high priest, someone with real power, someone who can have him killed, which is exactly what happens. So this first word for openly, it says, the word is for speak boldly with confidence and plainly. The first definition in the Greek reads like this, a use of speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. G Peter is concealing the truth with his words. Jesus is declaring them. And he's saying, this is how I've spoken. I have continually spoken in an open manner. Jesus wasn't vague. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Let me think about, let me pray about that answer for a second. I'm not quite sure. I have feelings this way, that way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I could go either way. Really depends on whom I'm talking to. No, stop. What are, we're ashamed of Christ. What are we afraid of? He spoke boldly. He didn't conceal anything. He's not hiding the truth. And there's Peter hiding his identity. He always spoke this way. He says he always spoke where? In the, in the synagogue. He was consistent. Jesus consistently went into the public to speak the truth, and he spoke the, in, in this fashion. This is how he did it. Now, did he take into account the people he was speaking to? Sure. Are we to do the same? Absolutely. But we're still to speak openly, boldly, truthfully, consistently, 
the same way that Jesus did. It says he didn't hide or speak anything in secret. We can proclaim a lot here, can't we? I can I yell all I want from this pulpit. I can be as bold as I want here. You guys are going to keep loving me, thankfully. What am I like out there? Am I just as bold? Am I willing to declare the truths that I declared right now to the public? I spoke nothing in secret. He wasn't, Peter's being a what? Secret disciple. Are you a secret disciple of Christ? Do you speak with your mouth and with your life? Do people know you're a Christian or are you ashamed of it? That's another way that you can deny him. This next verse should really make us feel bad. You notice what Jesus says here. Why are you asking me? Ask those who heard me. They know what I've said. Well, Jesus, we did that. And he said he doesn't even know you. Jesus, I think, is actually asking for his witnesses, which he, which he is entitled to at this point. Who are his witnesses? I'm looking at them. Ask them. So he punts that ball right back. You know what I've said. You know what I've taught. You know the truth. You tell the world. You confess my name. You witness for me. And our witness needs to be the same. He was innocent. We're guilty. He stood in our place. If you don't believe in that, I am sorry, but you will go to eternal damnation. That's the truth. And finally, he spoke truthfully. That, that last word, if I have spoken wrongly, testify the wrong, but if rightly, it means definitely truthfully, but it means that having excellence of speech. Sometimes we, we, get the, we deserve the metaphorical blows that we get because we don't talk to unbelievers, I think, the way that we should talk. We're actually talking to offend. Jesus is not talking to offend. Jesus is telling the truth, and that truth is offending. There's a big, big difference. Let's not, let's not pick fights with people. Let's not talk to people in a disrespectful way. Let's have the same grace that Christ has had with us. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Speak it graciously. Speak it in a way to win people to us. But notice, he still speaks it, doesn't he? What a contrast between the two. As Peter is lying and denying Jesus Christ, Jesus is testifying to the truth of who he is, of what he's done, and doing so at risk of his own life. 
During World War I, a British commander was preparing to lead his soldiers back into battle. They had been on furlough, and it was cold, rainy, and muddy. Their shoulders sagged because they knew what lay ahead of them. But he sang. It was a heavy time. As they marched along, the commander looked into a bombed-out church. Back in the church, he saw the figure of Jesus Christ on the cross. At that moment, something happened to the commander. He remembered the one who suffered, died, and rose again. There was victory and there was triumph. As the troops marched along, he shouted, Eyes right, march! Every eye turned to the right, and as the soldiers marched by, they saw Christ on the cross, and something happened to every one of them. They saw triumph after suffering, and they took great courage. With shoulders straightened, they began to smile as they went. Anything worthwhile in life will be worth the risk that it demands and worth courage. John does something very similar as we head out into battle, doesn't he? Who does he fix our eyes on? The example of Jesus Christ. When your faith is tried, Respond like Jesus. Respond boldly. Respond plainly, clearly, openly, unashamedly. Respond truthfully. Respond consistently. Answer faithfully and not faithlessly. Be prepared for it. Don't rely on your own strength. Don't be overconfident in the flesh. You're asking for a fall. Trust in Him. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Pray to Him. Imitate Him. Jesus remained faithful for us, and you and I are called to do the same for Him. I don't know what we will do, but we can't say we haven't been shown what to do. Father, thank you for this text, and thank you for the faithfulness of your Son. Even though Peter denied him, forgiveness is available, and forgiveness is available for each one of us. Forgive us, O Lord, for the times we've denied you. Forgive us for the times that we didn't want to say something when we should have said something. Forgive us for the times that we chose ourselves over you, that we chose this world over you, that we chose our kingdoms over you. Lord, give me courage. Give everybody in here courage. Fill us with Christ. Help us to imitate him. Help us to follow closely to Him. Help us not to trust in our flesh. Oh, I pray, Lord, that You use us mightily for Your kingdom, that our lips would match our lives, and that we would boldly go out into this world unashamedly, proclaiming the truth of what He's done for us, 
realizing that you are in complete control of everything, that nothing can happen to us that is out of your control. Help us to do this next weekend. Help us to do this tomorrow and every day after. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.